0: Welcome to Experiencing Consciousness. My name is Jan Deba.
1: And I'm Dr. Katherine Rossi. We're happy you're here.
0: we're on okay okay so are we are we okay
1: absolutely we're better Great. than the
0: best okay cool so i think we're i think we're live online and everything is set and good to go so all right um, what are we gonna be talking about today? There's plenty of things that we can talk and one that actually unites a lot of them together, right?
1: Absolutely. We're gonna talk about the numinosum.
0: Exactly. Well I'll 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 just what what that is? I mean there's so many def- different different <laughs> definitions. Numinosum.
1: Absolutely. Well, first of all, that which is mysterious, tremendous, fascinating, curious. This is what the numinosum is.
0: So that would be um, something, something new, something novel?
1: Absolutely. So when you think about what motivates you in life... It's the things that are interesting, the things that are new, the things that you're mm-hmm. discovering, and um, so the term numinosum came from the Greek, and it was um, defined originally by a theologian, Rudolf Otto, and he wanted to, uh, you know, he was what's the seed that's underneath everything? What is what motivates people? in any uh, spiritual path, you know, uh, be it an organized religion or Mm -hmm. otherwise. And so he did a lot of interviewing and he found out that 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 which was mysterious, tremendous and fascinating um, Mm -hmm. is what people motivated to, motivated themselves to go further in. And so what, what I believe when someone comes in for psychotherapy that they've actually forgotten a little bit about their numinosum needs to be rekindled. What do you think, Jan?
0: Well, forgot, but maybe they also would like to experience one because that maybe that's because that's one of the motivations for, for doing therapy to, to do something in a different way, novel way. Mm -hmm. And i'm also i'm also i mean before before we go further into the therapeutic applications you know when you were talking about this numinosum, i was also thinking about since i am a fan of horrors you know horror movies horror tales horror literature and stuff and there's a lot of mystery mysterious things down there that we don't know a lot about and you know the best you know what's the best horror movie or horror tale it's where the evil thing or something that you are actually being scared by is undefined. So it's actually most of the times, tremendous, mysterious, a bit, a bit new, I would say. Mm -hmm. Uh, So is it possible that the Numinosum can be also in those terms? I mean, you know, so that it not only be fascinating, but also you may be, I mean, you may be fascinated by it, but also in such a way that it kind of scares you a a bit?
1: You know, um, fascination has many facets, right? When you think of how a diamond is cut, you know, Mm -hmm. um, a princess cut diamond has 57 facets. And uh, that's why they sparkle so much and why, you know, those of us that love diamonds really love them. And so um, how the fascination shows itself is what's important. Does that fascination frighten you? That's okay. It's your experience with it. Does it move you further? that's kind of the question and so mm. i i'm totally open to every experience that people have and sometimes you know in the psychological sense of things sometimes people do gravitate towards danger they gravitate towards fear because it's fascinating
0: yeah it it also launches a lot of a lot of things on the uh on the psycho bio- on the biological level right
1: like adrenaline oh sure or,
0: or noradrenaline and stuff like you know
1: that. that you get that adrenaline shot to um uh, yeah. pay attention
0: exactly so maybe that's also and maybe that's also what's brought partially by numinosum also you know so the, 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 for, for, by the novelty of that that you are excited and it gets you high on energy
1: well, sure. And then when you, you know, I'm a big proponent of happiness. And happiness is something that happens in the present moment. It's not in the past. It's not in the future. It's right now. And so I think that depending on which tense you select, like in this case, the present tense, that the numinosum is different than if it's a future tense or a past tense. There's a lot of variability. Mm-hmm
0: proponent of happiness, you know, when you said that, uh, me me with my, I mean, I also like happiness, but on the other hand, as I, uh, basically, I'm more kind of like a Gomez Adams type of a guy. So (laughs) (laughs) happiness, yes, in a weird, strange ways.
1: Well, you know, bring up a good point. And the original Adams Family was a TV program in the nineteen sixties. And uh Pugsley, um, remember Pugsley Adams? Yeah, of course. Well, his his real life name was Ken Weatherwax. We're the same age and uh and I I knew him that mm-hmm. he was the next door neighbor of a friend of mine and so i have a different relationship with the adams family than most that uh, but i think mm-hmm. it's 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 so much fun
0: yeah and it was probably based on cartoon made by charles adams or was the movie the first Oh, you know.
1: no, it was a t- TV, uh, TV program, and um, yes, it was, and in those days, they, uh, they did a lot of that, and then to add fun to the discussion, when you think about Numinosity, is that my longest friend, um, that, that uh, the series, The Beverly Hillbillies, was designed after her family, and the pilot was shot at their house, And so, you know, but the fun and the fascination of, you know, in the Beverly Hillbillies for those people that don't know it, it was this guy that, you know, struck oil and became all of a sudden really rich and then was living the life of luxury in Beverly Hills. And uh, my friend's family was uh, selected because they lived in a really posh neighborhood and they had chickens at the side of the yard, and in the front of the yard there was corn growing and this and <laughs> that, and, uh, and also she loved horses and she had a Shetland pony. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm, I'm a kid, she's a kid. We just think this is normal. We don't realize that this is you know not normal. Um, you know, in posh neighborhoods and things like that, but uh, the legend lives on, and I think it's that kind of um, that kind of spark, the novelty, the you know, the interest, the um, what can happen next, you know. Um, and in in my thinking, the why not? That this is all part and parcel of what is the numinous. It's like what sparks your interest what mm-hmm. do you want to explore further um, and in in whatever way that that leads you and so uh, when i ask you today jan you know where is your numinosum today
0: i have no idea are we gonna find out i think you know
1: okay Well, my numinosum today is that, you know, I live in California. I live Mm -hmm. on the central coast. It's halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco. And uh, it's been, uh, we've been suffering a drought, but the rain came. And what's Mm -hmm. interesting about that is that the storms are coming in and the winds are coming from like thousands of miles away, pushing the waves. And yesterday, the waves were, I'll say it in meters, they were uh, like seven and a half meters high. It was unbelievably oh. cool. And, uh, and these waves, generally, they, they, um, uh, the, they break close to the shore, but some of these were breaking like half a mile out. You know, so it's like a kilometer or more out and there's rows of these waves and they were they were coming in. And the, the sound and the fury and really the danger um, potentially in in waves that are that huge. It has just captured my attention. So this morning I went out to my back deck, and which is wooden, and it was literally shaking from the roar. Of the waves in the distance i think nature at its best i'm just high it's just beautiful Mm.
0: so that's something that brings that effect into place and how does how does luminosum actually uh, work within a psychotherapy or you know is it is it part of psychotherapy or is it something that uh, leads you towards psychotherapy or is it a goal of psychotherapy or a process within psychotherapy? I know that that that, uh, the, that you are working with, with the Numinosum effect with, together with Dr. Rossi, developing some concepts on that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, the answer is it could be any of those things. Mm-hmm. Generally, why people come in for therapy is they have a perplexing problem or issue that they're not able to resolve on their own. They're in, they're in pain. They're hurting, and mm-hmm. um, and usually stuck, a little bit stuck. And so, in the way that um, that Ernie and I would work, is that Ernie called it the fail-safe method, and mm-hmm. it's it's really marvelous. And that is that uh, what on the one hand or on the one side of you. Is um, you know solid, good, dependable. Maybe it's it's what's numinous for you in the moment. Mm-hmm. But in having a place that is the opposite of the problem, the opposite of the trauma, mm-hmm. and uh, more often than not, we would uh, key into um, the, the the not using the word the numinosum because. You know, it's you have to explain it. It's intellectual, but um, you know, what's the the best that you're feeling in your body right now? What's you know, I mean, in, in a way where um, it can anchor a safety for that person, and a, and so that by way of contrast, you can go deeper, most likely into the into the problem, into the pain, mm-hmm. because you have this other side, and uh, and and often that's how we would begin with a therapy session it would depend on the person mm-hmm. but um but uh we were uh, um, uh, concerned um of how you set up a successful psychotherapy session where everybody can be a winner you know where the therapist mm-hmm. can be a winner where where the client can be a winner and where, where there's that safety and, um, and so that's, that's how we would start. And then within the therapy itself, you got to admit, I mean, you brought it up with the horror films, you know, is that um, there's something that's really fascinating about the depths of pain that one is in. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like, who knew you could go that deep? Or, you know, there's just, there's something about it that, you know, is fascinating and it holds your attention. And so in this respect, in following the fascination within the therapy of, uh, which then gives the courage to go deeper and the curiosity of what's going to come next. So what do you make of that?
0: Well... Few questions come out on the road when you were talking about few few important things. The first one you were you were saying about creating on one side you go deeper into those difficult moments to create uh, something new and fascinating and discover some things, but also to do it you need to have that um, I would call it a safe place or uh, you know the place, place to start and. He, and the other thing that you said you were thinking um, with w- both with Dr. Rossi about how to create a successful session when where everybody is a winner, and I think that those two things are combined, if they are not just tell me. But my question is, okay, so what's the formula, or <laughs> what are your observations, or you know things that 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 you come to um, about? The, those things how to create that safe place mm-hmm. how to create create a session that's going to be successful for all parts mm-hmm. and that that's maybe i would also i would add to it more oil to the fire how to create a transformational session that's going to be beneficial for someone in such a way that they're going to actually see it
1: mm-hmm. or
0: experience it as beneficial okay that's it
1: <laughs> that's a big uh, you know uh order well um it's interesting when when we think in terms of how do you create a formula for these things and um uh you know a formula a protocol like this sort of thing it it doesn't work like that it's that mm-hmm. work within a structure um, and um, and within this loose structure, there's the freedom to go wherever it is that you go. But when you consider that that when you're personally successful at doing something, um, whether it's you know therapy or anything else, is that you want to feel grounded? You know, you want to you know to feel that safety. And mm-hmm. so that's why we create that within psychotherapy. So um, the structure is, uh, is really the four-stage creative cycle. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I know that we've talked about this, you know, any number of times. I want to encourage the listeners is that, you know, intellectually, I can say these things about the four stage creative cycle experientially. It takes some time to be able to truly understand it and apply it. That Ernie and I uh, were talking one time of, you know, for our students, how long would it take them before they understood the four stage creative cycle? And on average, it was two years. It takes mm-hmm. some time. So I want to be encouraging of the fact that. That um, just because you don't see it right away or experience it right away within yourself and within your clients doesn't mean that you won't. And it's the best structure that there is. And so within that, the stage one is um, what's the question? What's the curiosity? You know, what's the problem? What's the issue? So if you, if you add the numinosum into this mix, which Mm -hmm. I think is really a great thing to do is that you're bringing this spark of life um, into the process Mm -hmm. for yourself as a therapist and for your client. And so whatever the, um, you know, the issue, the concern, concern, um, whether it's being spoken out loud or whether it's, emerging within within the client that you as a therapist find that fascinating that you look for the numinosum in yourself in relationship to your um client and when you do that the level of um uh, an, an ability to pay attention to the small nuances grows.
0: Okay. What does it mean to find numinosum in yourself and in your client within a therapeutic session?
1: What fascinates you? Okay. You know, so it becomes really simple. So for instance, um, uh, a person comes in and they're crying mm-hmm. and, they, and they can't seem to stop crying. You know, we've all experienced that from time to time where they don't even have any words, they're just crying. Well, if you as a therapist actually find that fascinating, it's like, wow, you know, this person is really emoting um, uh, uh, and I just want to see what comes next. So instead of having the attitude, how can I fix this? which is what a lot of therapists want to do. How can I fix this? How can I comfort you? You know, what can I do? What can I say? Instead, just be present with it and be fascinated with it. And whatever that fascination is, you can speak that. The fascination might be as simple as, wow, you're really in pain, aren't you? So it's a different orientation, would you not agree, Jan?
0: Well, no. depends. <laughs> Since I'm working with you for years, it's it's not different so much to <laughs> my orientation. So, but yes, generally, uh, at least to some sort of psychotherapies, you know, where I don't see a lot of excitement within. Uh, therapist sometimes some sometimes because the paradigm that they are in tells them not to actually show emotions for example so that's when you compare that to this one uh, to those kinds of approaches yeah there's a huge difference down there
1: but mm-hmm. even in um, uh, the it, it, it all depends how you say it I have mm-hmm. a tendency yeah. to be um, that I'm an emotional person, and so I have a tendency to express it that way. But it can be as simple as, you know, you really are in a lot of pain, aren't you? You know, it's, it's, it's the tone. It's how you go about it. Um, that it's a way of acknowledging that person.
0: Yeah, there's and an acceptance in it also. An
1: acceptance and an acknowledgement. And then um, there's also a bond that happens, the bond between therapist and client, where the client is saying, whoa, you know, you're really paying attention to me. That um, many therapists feel so comfortable with creating treatment plans and really sticking with that treatment plan. You know, in other words, having a protocol. And for anyone who works this way, good for you. You know, I mean, how wonderful if that is working great for you. No, no need to change anything like that. But for a lot of people, a lot of therapists want to be able to be a little bit more spontaneous in the moment and to be able to, uh, you know, as the saying goes, bob and weave, you know, of moving with that client that's in front of them. And so when you bring your own personal fascination in it. Then um, to me that changes everything. It's always worth a try. And of course, in stage two, where the person is getting, you know really deeply into the confusion, the difficulty, the doubts, um, as, as we all do when we're trying to grow. That there can there can be the the fascination of that, and even mm-hmm. encouraging an inner observer of the client. Of uh, you know, while while you're going through this intensity, is there a part of you that can simply impartially observe? And um, and in some ways, you're um, not saying it. You know, straightforwardly, but you're actually um, encouraging their numenosum to just simply watch. And when you can s- simply watch something, you gotta admit it's fascinating, isn't it?
0: Plus, if is it also that watching something. Uh- kind of promotes or facilitates dissociation and by that provides Mm -hmm. a safe spot to actually go more deeply into difficult uh kind of realms of 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 our own psychological living or functioning uh, while Mm -hmm. at the same time having that kind of you know uh, platform to uh, eventually just move there and watch and you know Mm -hmm. kind of like that
1: it becomes interactive you know it becomes Mm -hmm. interactive within the client and um and facilitating that kind of interaction is beneficial everywhere you turn it's beneficial for you the therapist because the client is doing the work and, um, and you want the client to do the work. Yeah. If you do the work for the client, the client doesn't benefit nearly as much as when the client does the work themselves. And then the mm-hmm. therapist can relax and observe and guide in a way that seems appropriate at the time, depending on a person's um, orientation but it 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 leaves the therapist free to be comfortable on the inside of themselves which is it, which is a really interesting concept that you know at the end of a therapy session if you the therapist are really exhausted i would like to suggest you didn't do something right
0: yeah and or you were uh, trying to do way more than you could
1: For your client, right? Yes. And so while the motivation is good, if you're exhausted at the end of the session, that's your invitation to learn to do something a little different as a therapist. And what we're talking about today is a possibility of something that's a little bit different. I care deeply for psychotherapists. I want everybody to have a great career. I want everybody to be able to go home at night to um, uh, their loved ones, Uh, in my case, my cats, you know, (laughs) because I live alone. But, you know, to be able to have that, you know, that freedom, that energy where you're not exhausted. Where you're not, you know, where you're not fretting, where you're not second guessing, that you can um, pat yourself on the back to say, you know, I did the best that I could today. And of course, I I do believe in in reviewing a session in one's mind of how you could be better. But if you're exhausted at the end, then um, you're working harder in that stage too, than your client is.
0: Yeah. And it's he so helpful. Yeah. Plus, uh, I, you know, there's a lot of research proving that more most valuable are the insights, and it doesn't. And it's cross, uh, cr- cr- cross approach. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't doesn't matter which approach that is. Most valuable are the insights, or you know, the things that actually the client uh, came up to themselves. Uh, Rather than being told by a therapist, right?
1: Absolutely. And then when you think about for yourself, when was the last time you enjoyed somebody telling you what to do? <laughs> oh, never. Ne- try never.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's. That.
1: And, you know, and so the the question becomes, you know, of well, then how can I work in such a way that um, where there is this freedom? So, you know, one word that, that I've been using the word fascination, but uh, uh, the other word associated with the numinosum is mysterious. Mm. Now, aren't you curious sometimes? Uh, you know, I mean, there is this mystery in life, particularly when you're stuck. It's like, well, why am I stuck? Well, why can't I figure it out? What is this mysterious quality to it? And I love your attitude, Jan, because uh, like the, the mystery of um, a horror film, you know, for instance, I think is really healthy, but it, that um, words sometimes can be introduced within psychotherapy. And it's like, wow, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of mysterious, isn't it? And you'd be surprised how that can help a person to move forward. Because you will generally watch someone that all of a sudden they become very still. You might see a small nod. Um, But as they're going into the mystery, well, what's a mystery? A mystery is something to be solved, isn't it?
0: Yeah, or something to be fascinated about, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, but I mean, you may never solve a mystery. But, um, and, and it can be fascinating, the mysteries. It can be terrifying, the mysteries. It can be all kinds of things associated with mysteries. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, my favorite mystery is, why do I love you so much? You know, like, what a mystery is this, is that I could love you this much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it, it runs the gamut of all possible emotions. But also when you think about, like, what, interests you. Isn't it the mysteries in your life?
0: Yeah. And you know, when, when, when we are talking about solved and unresolved mysteries, I'm suddenly what comes to my mind, it's, uh, it's something totally different, but uh once uh, they, they asked Quentin Tarantino, what, what are his favorite movies and what movies he hates the most. So one of his favorite movies was the, the, the matrix, the first, uh the first episode the first part i would say Mm -hmm. and one of the films that he does doesn't like the most are the additional two parts of the matrix and one of the arguments that he uh, stated for to support his you know uh, preference he said i mean the first movie was great but in the second and third part they spend too much time trying to fill, uh, fill out the gaps and mysteries. And so everything st- suddenly starts to be, you know, uh, you you know everything. So there's no mystery, nothing fascinating, nothing to, you know, think about or st- something like that. So not all the mysteries are good to be, you know, good to be resolved right away.
1: Uh, absolutely. What a great um, story. You know, of of um, the fact that if you fill in too many gaps, you know, you, you lose some of that mystery. But that's also somebody else filling in the gaps for you. It's one thing if you fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, you know, so in the Matrix series of uh, others filling in the gaps. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there's plenty of people that they just love having those gaps filled in.
0: Uh, probably. However, an
1: yeah.
0: additional thing that came into my mind from uh, hypnotic realities, uh, there's a part in chapter four where uh, where where uh, Dr. Erickson talks with Dr. Rossi about. Um, the inner work that the clients that they are working with at the time are doing and there's a part where dr erikson just leaves the two people uh, it was probably the one one the, there was a woman and a man probably uh, um, wife and husband i don't really recall and his, her her initial was s and her his initial was uh, i think h and uh, so at at a particular time in the session uh, erikson So in the room there was Dr. Erickson, Dr. Rossi, uh, S and H, so four people. And suddenly, so Erickson is working with them, giving them some suggestions, going with them through some experiences, and then suddenly he just leaves them for 10 minutes and starts talking uh, with Dr. Rossi about some manuscripts that they were actually working on. And then there's this part where they analyze that, and Dr. Rossi asks him, asks him why did he do it and Erickson says it's sometimes good to just leave people in a state of a trance so that they can experience their own creativity in that state and you know re- reintegrate what happened and experience the state itself and its creative possibilities and also he said that deepens the whole experience so isn't that actually in a, in a way you know like uh talking about the same kind of thing that people are you know the burden of responsibilities uh, in a way placed on them and also they have that time to actually you know they got some material from the outside but then there's this time to reintegrate things and to actually uh find our own way to fill out to fill up all the gaps and stuff
1: oh absolutely well and um you know it's in it Ernie was so good to bring these cases forward and in this particular way. And it brings me to when I've done clinical demonstrations in front of an audience. And particularly these, well, now I do them just with myself, but when I did them with Ernie. and, um, And there would be a lot of different consciousnesses going on at the same time. And so mm-hmm. in those cases, I was feeding to Ernie because I my ears were better. So I could feed to Ernie about what the client um a a word or two a phrase or two that sort of thing that was then going to help ernie to um be able to go further and then i would say often to the client that was sitting in the chair i said will you continue as you are i'm going to say a word or two to the audience and then i would explain to the audience you know what i was looking at um how this thing was going so i was you know the with the uh, mechanics really mm-hmm. of how the therapy went because it's a, it's a teaching experience at a conference. I want them to be able to not just observe, but to be, to understand yeah. what was happening at the time. And, uh, and then I'd glance over at the, at the client, they're busy working totally on their own. And then I would be quiet. Ernie's, you know, would then uh, um start in again. And it was a continually uh, deepening experience for that client. And, um, and people find relief when you, as Ernie used to say, when you shut up. That um, uh, everybody has like their pet peeves and uh, my pet peeve is too much talking within therapy. I like to have the silences, I'm, ex- I'm very comfortable with silences mm-hmm. within therapy. And that's what, you know, in this case of Erickson and Ernie, where um, literally they were discussing a manuscript, so it was obviously a private conversation between the two of them, mm-hmm. exemplified the same thing how do you do that when it's just you in the room with the client is is the uh mysterious question to ask
0: well yeah it's probably somewhere in between the words somewhere in the silence there's a secret to it
1: that's what i think is that is that you give an opportunity for silence and, um, and within that opportunity, you'll see pretty quickly whether more words need to come out or whether you um, go with the silences. And um, uh, the deeper a person is in trance, mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter. You can keep talking because they're not even listening to you. But you could also just plain stop talking and see what's, you know, to see how that goes. It, it, it depends on your personality of um, that. Uh, I know some people, they really like to have um, therapists, they wanna have a constant stream of words coming out. And, um, and those therapists that say, that do that, they'll say right in the beginning, and you'll hear what you need to hear, and not you know you don't need to hear everything. Sometimes my voice is going to fade and then come back, but inviting um, the ability to have you know really the dissociation so they can go into themselves. It's quite an art, you know. It's it's um, it's not. I wish there was more of a protocol on it, but it really is an art.
0: Do you find that
1: fascinating?
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, it's an art of of communication, art of language, art of observation, art Mm -hmm. of being in a relationship. There's quite a lot of, you know, dimensions involved in in, in deep, good, solid, hypnotic work. Yeah. Hypnotherapeutic work.
1: I'm going to return to where's your numinosum?
0: Well, I mean for for now i think there's a lot of things in the discussion that we are doing that we are having that kind of connects together in a slightly new way so i've got some of my own thinking processes and Mm -hmm. i'm in a in a process so we're gonna find out some insights are coming ideas on how we can actually you know uh um uh, bring that more into our work Together, we're going to find out. There, there are plenty of ideas. I mean, I'm thinking about all this in terms of hemispheric dominance, about our model of session of, of, of hypnotic therapy and stuff like that. So I'm like kind of trying to combine those things and developing ideas in my head. I'll share them with you uh later
1: (laughs) oh sure but but isn't that isn't that great and that's the way the numinosum works is you invite it and then you see what happens Mm
0: -hmm. so the numinosum is also kind of um in a part an ingredient or an experience of change of change within within a therapy
1: oh yes you know um because when you're looking for the new when you're looking for the unexpected like you know you can fill out you can fill in all kinds of words but when you're looking for what is unusual rather than what is usual mm-hmm. you grow especially if you have established a safe place so that you're free to fly as i like to think of it
0: yeah, and that that's actually very important, you know. Uh, I, I think to myself many times when I work with people that are heavily traumatized, for example, mm-hmm. that's that's the that's that's crucial, crucially important to have that safe spot where mm-hmm. they can start their journey, you know.
1: Yeah, the safe spot, and then also the curiosity. You know well, that within any given mm-hmm. trauma, you know, to to that. Um, that, that curiosity and breaking people out of um, the, the same old, same old, you know, where the, the mind is, is in a circular way and you want it to kind of go more to a spiral, you know, where mm-hmm. there's going to be, you know, some wobbles and shifts with it. And um, that, uh, and, and I think, in my opinion, I know there's so much focus on trauma you know, trauma-informed therapy of, you know, of, of being, yeah. like, you know, uh, really cognizant of this. And uh, while I think that that's good, I also think there's an overemphasis on that. And uh, even when you say the word trauma, it's, like, kind of heavy. It's sort yeah. of, you know... Um, uh, it, it's like it turns on a different kind of gene expression than, than when you're thinking about the numinous. And so when you bring the, the concept of, yes, this trauma happened, um, but what is, what is fascinating about this trauma to you? What's mysterious about this trauma to you? And, um, and is there a way that, you know, you could come at this trauma sideways instead of straight on? like, you know, um, or zigzag or, you know, of, of, of this sort of thing. But when, to me, when you focus on um, the growing edge, which is really what the numinosum is, that there's a shift away from the focus of the trauma onto something else, which opens up the door, more often than not, to face the trauma directly, and when you can face something directly, you have a better chance of getting over it sooner. So it's a very different way of working. I know sometimes as we're talking, and I I I I know people in the audience are saying, you know, well, yeah, I agree, I agree, I agree, agree. But we really are seeing a lot of things that they're are different. They're 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 paradigm shifts. And um, and I'll, I'll really emphasize it is that I really care about therapists, and many therapists, when they're working with somebody who's really traumatized, they kind of go into a trauma themselves. And um, yeah. I I I want to help that. I want to um, you know to be able to be there with heart and soul, but to not have the um, therapist go into that kind of pain for themselves.
0: Pain is one thing, but you know what I'm thinking about uh, m- many times. What I saw is that, um, for example, when when someone is working with anxiety, uh, there is this the dynamic uh, while, while a client works with anxiety that at some point in 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 the therapy, there needs to be uh, some kind of you know you need to face the fear or the anxiety Absolutely. to 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 desensitize it or you know do whatever whatever it takes to learn dealing with it and that's not something that people like to do they want to be cured but they don't want the cure so many times people consciously or unconsciously try to convince the therapist that what they are actually afraid of is something worth being afraid of and Mm -hmm. i like the, the term that david burns created where he says that patients are trying to put you into a negative hypnotic trance (laughs) uh, and convince you hypnotize you into their problems and you know how many times i've heard that you know uh someone would say uh, that i have a client who has a fear like phobia of for example going into an elevator or something and you know and while we're talking about desensitization or something like that they go so you are telling me that they supposed to, that they that they supposed that it's good for them to go into the elevator and I go, "Well, probably yes, at some point." and then they go, and what if something horrible is gonna happen down there?" And I go, well, what's what can happen?" I mean, you know, and so many times people are therapists are afraid yeah. <clears throat> to put people through things that they are afraid of. So I'm you know
1: right. Well, and, and um, but you bring up an excellent point, you know, again, about therapist care is that I don't want any therapists to be afraid. You know, I want mm-hmm. therapists to be comfortable within the inside of themselves. And so, you know, all of us throughout the, the history of having been a therapist have had a client come in that reminds you that you got some work to do with yourself and, um, and so when there is this invitation of doing the work that you need to do for yourself, I think mm-hmm. that that's really important. But what I see is that with the compassion that is coming forward within therapists is they put their mind into the same mind as their client, which might be fearful. It might be anxious. And um, and that that's not necessary. You don't have to do that. I uh, have taught many people how to become anxious. And they explain it to me this way. No, 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 no. Doc, doctor, doctor, you don't understand. I came to you because I don't want to be anxious. I said, we'll get there. So in the meantime, let me teach you how to be anxious. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know. I've I've never had anybody that refused. It's like, okay, I want you to hold your yeah. breath. That's what I want you to. Just go, hold your breath. Me. Yeah, just keep hold it. Keep holding it. Okay. Yeah, keep holding it. Keep holding it long as you can. You know, yogis can hold 30 seconds, a minute, 2 minutes. You can hold it a long, long time. That's you can. Look at those eyes. Are you getting anxious yet? <laughs> and that, and when you choose to breathe, just make it kind of shallow you know, shallow breath, you know, nothing that goes below here, you know, that goes below the top of your chest. And then you can just see what happens. He's still going. I think that this is pretty amazing. What a talent we have here in Jan. I'm not supposed to make him laugh. Then he's gonna have to breathe. But the you know the whole idea is is that physiologically there is only your body only has one way to make you anxious. There you go. So are you anxious yet?
0: No, but I'm trying <laughs> <laughs> hyperventilating myself.
1: Yeah, that'll do it too. Uh-huh. But that's
0: actually that's actually pretty nice. I mean, you know.
1: Yeah, it's actually it's um, um, you know, doing something that's a little bit different. But the, the, so, so the only way that you can become anxious physically is through mm-hmm. your breath. It's holding your breath, yeah. it's shallow breathing. And, and so when you bring attention to, okay, so that's how you do it, then what happens is when, when that individual is going into anxiety, they're realizing, oh yeah, it's in, it's in my breath. But you're a special case, um, but, you know, in the fact that you're doing this and not getting anxious. But, you know, I, uh, it's also that if I can help you to be anxious, but there's no reason, like there's no mental thing going on. And yet yeah. your body will go into anxiety. It's like, OK, you know, so then um, my thinking needs to be uh, uh, rearranged. Because what I the way that I'm thinking is 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 uh, bringing me into anxiety. Yeah. So exactly. um, I, and I think it's, it's fascinating.
0: And I think that actually protected me because you know I've did that a lot with clients, so I'm familiar with the practice, and also. Uh, I am, you know, because I feel like dizzy and there's a tingling uh, on the back of my head and stuff, but I know that it's going to appear, so I'm like more observing it and thinking to myself, yeah, "Yeah, another step. And so I actually attribute that uh, to the breathing, not to some kind of, so I don't have the anxious thoughts, the what if thoughts or stuff like that. So the attribution, the attribution is different.
1: And it's, I mean, it's amazing because this happens so quickly. And um, so when you think about how quickly you can make yourself anxious, well, isn't the opposite of that true?
0: Yeah, probably, you know, so there are those symptoms in here. But I understand them different, and the, the one thing that comes out of this experience is that the perception of the symptoms and the um, the way I understand them also probably makes one reaction more possible than the other.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, it, and quite frankly, it's mysterious. Like you know, it's mysterious. It's it's fascinating, and then when you think about it, also, you know, we originally you were talking about what's transcendent. And mm-hmm. so it's like, well, what's tremendous is that you feel different now than than when we sat down. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, you feel different than, you know, it's not yeah. um, it's not quite an hour, but you feel different now than when we started. Mm-hmm. You know, True. that your perspective is different, your experience is different that's what transcendence is is that when when you can recognize in in, you have a genius of having a really great inner observer yawn you know that's how you could do this you know this physical exercise but not go into um into anxiety because you were actually fascinated watching yourself doing this and um but the 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 um um being able to transition into what's next is the, uh, the, the most glorious part about being a psychotherapist and, and helping to lead clients into their own transformation. And then to be able to recognize that. I mean, and that's really stage three of the creative process. That's where the mm-hmm. numinosum is totally alive. Is that there's like these new it's possibilities being
0: expressed down there,
1: yeah, and it's and it's being expressed, and then you also have a shift in gene expression that happens during that time and where there's something that's new,
0: and that's a, an insight of some sort, right? And an, an,
1: an insight, a realization, um, a sensation, even, you mm-hmm. know, so it could just be a sensation of, yeah, it's you know it's not feeling as bad now you know that um uh i mean of course who doesn't love these you know transcendent stage 3s where you know you realize you know something that you never realized before and it's really spectacular that happens from time to time but more often than not it's just it's like this sense of relief and and in part that relief is having paid attention having focused on uh as directly as you can on whatever it is that you needed to focus on of staying with um difficulty and Mm -hmm. seeing what happens next and then there's and the the body will put you into a natural rest phase it'll put you into a natural relief that lasts anywhere from five to twenty minutes and uh, or two to twenty minutes or whatever, but you know, but you get this relief. Now, <clears throat> um, I've never had anyone um, emphasize this with me in uh, in any of the psychotherapies that I've uh, uh, participated in for myself. But this sense of relief is so important. And so for the therapist who has been participating in the therapy in, and maybe working through being overly involved or working through one's own anxiety or that sort of thing, being able to key into that relief time, take it in, nourish it, let it, let it permeate your entire chest you know, to feel your shoulders being relaxed, to feel your feet on the floor in a different way, to feel a sense of that um, relief, is what Erickson would say, that's what you get after a job well done. And that's gonna happen for you, you know, every hour and a half or two throughout the day and night. Mm -hmm. So depending on um, how you work as a psychotherapist, most people work in the traditional sessions, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Um, You're gonna be on a different rhythm when you find that relief. It won't necessarily be within the client session when it's that length of time, but, you can tune into that and deeply appreciate it. I work in double sessions Mm -hmm. um, because that's what suits the way that I like to work. So I feel that sense of, of relief, that stage three in myself in each session. And when I experience that as a psychotherapist, I know that um, that session is is uh, coming to a conclusion. Mm-hmm.
0: So, in a way, you know where you are in within the session based on your own feelings.
1: Yeah. How yeah. much is
0: it your your feelings? How much is it an observation of, of what happens to a client? How much is it some kind of you know setting of coordinates that? that well, I
1: has... do believe there's a synergy on is Mm -hmm. that um that even i'm experiencing with my client when um when they're in distress there is a part of me that experiences that that's the mirror neuron situation um that happens but also i'm in the place that is holding the calm that's holding the hope And they're receiving that from me and my mirror neurons, and so when you crest the top of the mountain and now you're coming down for the rest, that um, uh, it it often happens simultaneously, but not always. You know, sometimes clients need to stay uh, much longer in their stage two. And more often than not, they don't recognize their stage threes. That's part of Mm -hmm. our job as therapists is to point out of, um, wow, you know, you are breathing so much better now. Do you notice Mm -hmm. you just took a deep breath?
0: Yeah. Is that also uh, one of the functions of um, testing clients in uh, like some currents of therapy, like in CBT, many times people get, to uh, fill out the scales at the beginning of the session and then they can compare or at the beginning and the end or you know in between sessions stuff like that to measure the progress Is absolutely it
1: also- absolutely mm-hmm. well and um and those can be really important you know i mean those those symptom scaling um And I know that that in CBT, they use that a lot. And I think it's really wonderful. I have a tendency to use symptom symptom scaling um, strategically. Mm -hmm. You know, if a person is in physical pain, for instance, um, I I like them to symptom scale it, um, you know, because I think it's really interesting. And also when a person is in physical pain, depending Mm -hmm. on the number that they give, if they give a number that's like seven or eight, I'll, I'll encourage them to make it higher, and, and because I know it's going to lower, you know, after that.
0: And plus, I think that by doing that, you also teach them how to control it in in a way. Because if well, they can if they can make it higher, then that means that they actually can have. A- right some then, sort of control over it
1: yeah exactly Is and and i tell him i said as long as you can modulate it you know that you can change it it can go up it can go down only you emphasize the down part you know i only emphasize the the up part um often that's for 30 seconds which i time you know can you do this for one minute mm-hmm. you know so it's it's uh time limited and then it's like well then where are you now oh gosh you know <sighs> it wasn't eight now now it's a seven that's maybe it's a 6.5 it's like okay put that in back of your mind you know and then at the end of the session and so so where are you now well i'm at it i'm at a well one they say yeah one's good they get down to a uh anything that's less than where they started is good
0: yeah but you know That's but outrageous. again
1: it's like you know in 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 talking about getting the feedback the mm-hmm. other thing um that you know one can always ask for feedback with their clients um more more often than not i would say probably 99 percent of the time i do not um but also i've been a therapist for a lot of years and so i don't um i don't need the feedback that i used to in the younger years Um, I like to leave people when they're still kind of in a trance even. Um, Obviously, these are not people that are getting in the car and driving, right? Because you want to bring people fully alert under those circumstances. But these days, so much stuff is done online. And it's been marvelous because when they're in that special state that – uh, that I'll even say, would you like to continue in this special state? Um, and, and you know, if the answer is yes, then, you know, I literally say, you know, sign off and, you know, until next time and that sort of thing. So uh, to be able to ride those waves into um, uh, new consciousness, new realities, uh, new experiences, new possibilities.
0: So it's all about experiencing something new within what you are, within your inner experience,
1: and to be um, surprised, to be fascinated
0: appreciate
1: that, you know, that. yeah to no appreciate thing. yourself because no the one thing you don't want to bore yourself you don't want to have the no. same response day yeah. after day
0: uh, Victor Frankel would even say that if if you are bored too often then that would go to that would lead to a, a, a how was it called a neogenic neurosis or something like that? that that would then lead to the uh, feeling of lack of meaning and sense and would create symptoms so being bored is not something that we want to experience in life
1: No, we want to be fascinated you know we want to um um we want to even even in the depths of despair um we hope that we want to be able to create again Mm
0: -hmm. plus i'm thinking You know, even if we go without uh, logotherapeutic uh, stand, but with the creative four-stage creative process only, (coughs) excuse me, then uh, I think that people are more into um, destabilizing their lives than going into homeostasis because the close-up of the circle is the homeostasis. And then what we are doing purposefully, we are actually, you know, going out of this state to look for another kind of challenge or something to, you know... That's how we create problems, because we are looking for something different, for something else, or, you know, trying to deal with something uh, that we are not... uh, good with or don't don't want to accept or something there's you know
1: there's all kinds of varieties Mm -hmm. and so i think you know today we've really been been explaining the numinosum i think everybody that's been listening understands that and i hope that as you explore this you know for instance one of the nicest ways to explore this is when you wake up in the morning before you open up your eyes before you get out of bed where Mm -hmm. you tune into your growing edge you know so it's before the to-do lists it's before you know any of that where you tune into your pure self and see what's emerging Mm -hmm. and um it is a, a marvelous respite. Of um, and Ernie used to say, you know, that that's where you can tune into where is your growing edge, and um, and obviously, when you're tuning into that, you're you're tuning into what interests you. You know, what interests you, what yeah. you would like to take further on something and of course it can also be you know you wake up and you have a dream and it becomes interesting to consider your dream and uh what consciousnesses want to arise as a result of that but um uh, i'm suggesting that um to make numinosum this idea uh, a part of your daily life and to see where it takes you and i'd love to hear about it you know, I'd love to hear like, you know, in the comments and things of um, where it's taking you. And also, you know, today was like, you know, like really, you know, positive and things like that of, you know, the questions that you have and how we can help you further to be the best therapist that, that you can be and, you know, how we can be supportive.
0: Exactly. I don't have anything to add to
1: that (laughs) (laughs) well it's always a pleasure jan um i always learn something new when i'm speaking with you and i feel the 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 richness of um the vastness of your knowledge of my knowledge of our knowledges together and uh, and how they intertwine and it it tells me how much we as therapists can contribute and support each other
0: yeah by co-c- co-creating mm-hmm. realities and you know it's also i mean you know on my part it's the same just to add to it that i learned not not a, not a lot from you i i learn i learned tremendous things from you <laughs> so that would be more more on on my part it's that experience and it's always very developing and i really like the thing that we are actually among people now and that anyone who would like to can actually ask us a question po- put it in the comments they you know anyone can do it right now or after or when you are listening to it and it's like you know somewhere in time in the future you can always put it in there, and try, we're gonna try to answer that in, in further podcasts or further live uh, events that we're holding. Yeah, so that's probably most of most of the things that I would like to share now. There are uh, the, actually there are few few questions about how we can actually achieve change within hypnosis and hypnotherapy. But we did so much on the Numinosum today that, that I think that that we can leave those questions to okay. another <laughs> occasion. Um, I think I can ask one question, but we will not answer it today, just to you know, kind of uh, start the thinking process or something, or you know, just state it. There are a few people actually asked uh, The question in variety of forms, the question that actually comes to is it possible to uh, create within hypnosis, deep or shallow or whatever, you know, some kind of some sort of hypnotic trance or state. Is it possible to achieve a total alteration of human personality? I mean, you know, not development of the skills that that you have or something like that, but the total change or total alteration. So that's the question that that actually three people asked, three different people, and I think we can uh, pause in here and try to answer that. Maybe next time we're gonna meet. Yeah, or? I think
1: I think that um, that we should do a podcast on that um, because yeah, it, we, yeah, it is, we can it is we can. an interesting question, and it's it's not a short answer
0: exactly yeah that that's that's the whole nother story right yeah
1: yeah it's exactly. because
0: that, that would be that actually would be a question of what is possible to achieve during hypnosis but also what is healthy to achieve during hypnosis and what is beneficial to achieve during you know hypnotherapy or psychotherapy in general
1: mm-hmm. I think so so that so, we've, we've got our our uh, our next uh, topic for our next podcast, Jan. Okay,
0: cool. So that would be uh, sooner than the, sooner than the live uh, the, the next live conversation that we're going to have. Okay. So I'll just going to say one more time, whatever you want to ask us, uh, you can ask us a question on the YouTube channel that we're having on both of our, um, you can send it either to me or to Dr. Katrin Rossi to her email. Can they? they can write sure you can you can post us uh, that on either of our page facebook pages you can go to 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 the page of my of the malapolsky institute or you can go to uh, uh, uh at facebook and the facebook page and you know ask your questions whatever you want it they whenever you're gonna do it and you know they will come to us and we sure gonna be answering them i received some questions for the emails so that's cool you know just saying
1: all right think well, okay, so
0: exactly so thank you very much all all of the listeners who are with us today and hope you enjoyed our meeting Thank you dr Katrin rossi for your incredible time and incredible this conversation. was another episode of our experiencing consciousness podcast thank you for being with us
1: thank you jan you're the best be well be happy celebrate life